for joining us again for the second episode of COVID Conversations, a special presentation of OCPOD, the official podcast of the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine. These recordings began in December 2020 with the hope of discussing ongoing issues related to COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2. We hope you enjoy. This is COVID Conversations. I'm Erin Ransford, and I am here with Dr. Ismail Nabil. Dr. Nabil is the Deputy Medical Director of Employee Health, Safety, and Wellness for the Mount Sinai Health System and an Associate Professor in the Department of Environmental Medicine and Public Health at the Icon School of Medicine. He is a Fellow of the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine and is the current Vice Chair of ACOM's Council on Scientific Affairs. In this series of recordings, we explore a variety of topics surrounding the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus and the COVID-19 disease. Today is December 17, 2020. Dr. Nabil and I continue our conversation on vaccine as it becomes available for widespread use. Hi, Erin. It's Hi. been a pleasure. Thank you for being here. <laughs> so today, it's still about vaccines. We are intricately, as a specialist, involved in lots of challenges and decision-making, and COVID-19 vaccines are no different. Today, I, I thought we should talk a little bit about a vaccine itself, its distribution, logistics, uh, storage, the dosage, and FDA granting EUA. The good news uh, up front, uh, Pfizer vaccine has been approved, and the second vaccine related to COVID-19 is uh, almost there. Any thoughts on your end? It seems like the beginning of the end, I hope. <laughs> I hope so too, yes. So the purpose of the this conversation is also to understand, as occupational medicine practitioners, we, we might be involved in the front lines at the industry level, at a community, uh, in an academic institution. And um, I think it's a valuable information to understand how uh, this particular vaccine works and how the logistics, which is still unknown, or at least we haven't tested it, uh, in terms of the distribution to the general public and communities, as well as industry, across the nation. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what the vaccines are made up of. So what do you know about the vaccine? Do you think they have virus in them? No. From what I understand, that there, there's no actual dead or live virus in this type of vaccine. And the messenger RNA has kind of like a, a code for our cells to, to read and understand and then learn how to defend itself against it. So yeah. I, I don't think there's any actual chance of getting COVID-19 from this vaccine. You're absolutely right. I, I think this point is is very, very important for improving understanding about the vaccines. No doubt there are uh, new vaccines. We don't have any precedence regarding these types of vaccines. If you look back, there's some work done on Zika virus, initially developed by Moderna, still in the phase one trial. They are messenger RNA vaccines. But having them delivered and then giving it to um, healthcare workers or uh, individuals in nursing home. This is the very first for messenger RNA technology uh, to be used that way. Uh, it's been around since 1990. It's a protein which is usually unstable and cannot be transferred to human body really well. So what they do is they package this protein into a nanoparticle technology and then deliver it into humans. The first reported trials is in 
2017, I mentioned Zika virus at the time. And since that technology, I think it's it's mind-blowing to see it happening so quickly and then we can uh, create COVID-19-related vaccines. So you're absolutely right. There's no virus in there. The vaccine messenger RNA vaccine goes into the cell and it started to create uh, copies of instructions, which actually guides the cell to produce these spike proteins, which is uh, the main piece of the virus that the body fights against. So antibodies gets created and that's how you get protected, get immune with it. So what we know about technology is it's, it's, it's a synthetic messenger RNA technology uh, created in the lab. No part of the virus has been uh, injected into the body at any point. Do you know that traditionally that's not the case? Traditionally, vaccines do contain dead virus. Yeah, correct, yeah. So attenuated or inactivated virus uh, parts are usually used. They get injected, and that's a very fundamental basics uh, of, of vaccine development, where we use a part of the virus, which is attenuated or basically inactivated, and then that we, what we inject in the human body, and that allows human body to react or respond to that virus. So that's how it's usually engineered. This will fundamentally change the way uh, we develop vaccine altogether. So huge implications uh, in the long term uh, for other diseases. If they've been looking at this for almost three decades and there's clinical trials with Zika going back three years, why is that still in phase one and COVID-19 vaccine is already being shot in people's arms? <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a fundamental question. It's very interesting. There's been research, but uh, for most, most of the time, even for SARS-1 virus, the issue has been there's not enough uh, support to help make this happen. But this pandemic has changed the way, and it's like a moonshot when we put our collective minds together. We can certainly make breakthroughs, and instead of 10 years, uh, we have 10 months um, going back to the vaccine, one of the things that is being talked about is the requirement of these protein-based vaccines to be stored in a very, very low temperature. Do you know why that is the case? Would the proteins disintegrate if they were too warm? Yeah, yeah, true. So so what, what happens is if you put them in, in a heated environment, um, the structure of the protein disintegrates and it will not be efficacious anymore. Uh, just like making an egg and, and that uh, changes the texture and changes the protein itself. So mm -hmm. it's very important to keep it in a stringent environment especially in the, in the case of the Pfizer vaccine, it's considered as a, a deep freeze, um, at least at minus 90 degrees Fahrenheit uh, that need to be stored at. The nest needs to be thawed and then diluted within a certain time frame for it to be usable. Yes, and the challenge, again, with, with the messenger RNA vaccines are the requirements of the deep freeze. This is especially important uh, to consider when you're vaccinating public or communities or workers or particularly on site in an industrial setting, in a warehouse, or in a very hot uh, temperature. Keeping the vaccine at that temperature 
is really important. There's no preservatives in this vaccine, right? Right. So initial uh, vaccines created for quick consumption, which is the case here, does not include any any preservative. In cases where we uh, have the need to transport the vaccine for long distances, then the preservatives gets used. There's a there's a fundamental differences as well in the temperature between Moderna vaccine, which is a second vaccine the FDA is looking at, and Pfizer. The important distinction between the two is is the way the protein or messenger RNA has been assembled. So the the ingredients used for Moderna vaccine allows it to be stored at relatively less cooler temperature uh, compared to Pfizer vaccine. So do you think the the Moderna vaccine will be a more viable long-term vaccine solution than the Pfizer for the those logistical considerations alone? Yeah, if you can throw it into a uh, refrigerator or freezer, uh, it's uh, it becomes a more a probable solution, and especially when we need to vaccinate uh, millions of workers around the country, I, I think that becomes an effective solution. There's other vaccines on the horizon which does not use the messenger RNA technology, or rather use a uh, another type called adenovirus. AstraZeneca Oxford vaccines are one good example. That does not require a deep freeze. So that will also improve and enhance uh, distribution of vaccines um, that is so critical at this point. There are two companies uh, that usually makes traditional vaccines, which has been working on a more traditional approach uh, of getting the inactivated proteins from the virus. They can be stored at the room temperature, they can be transported, they will be cheaper. But there has been some challenges and setbacks in that uh, process. We're hoping that uh, that will improve the distribution of vaccine and have make it more widely available. Is that going to be a longer approval process? First, we need to demonstrate the efficacy of those vaccines, and then it needs to be approved just like what we're seeing for both Pfizer and Moderna. Interesting thing about dose preps, up to seven doses can be given through a single vial, which is fascinating, which is phenomenal. Vaccine can be used effectively in more healthcare workers or more nursing home residents and more people will benefit from the single mile. I, I think my challenge is especially for people to get a reminder to get the second right, shot. Right. Because in between the first and second shot, as per trials, uh, where efficacy is about close to 50%, which uh, you do not achieve the effectiveness of vaccine until unless you get both the shots. This might be especially not challenging uh, in terms of a setting of a warehouse uh, where we have a good understanding of uh, people's schedules. We can coordinate this effort with a site manager or a corporate headquarter uh, service. Um, Small businesses, I think, is at a more challenging place. And so the private and the public sector, in in this case, uh, probably Department of Health, might be a more effective uh, place to get uh, the small businesses, uh, individuals who work in, in that sector to be vaccinated. As healthcare providers, as well as occupational medicine experts, I think uh, we need to have a considerable understanding of how we can go about the, and and 
deliver the vaccine effectively to the working population. So do you anticipate that that's going to be an effort through workplaces or people that don't work in in large warehouses or healthcare settings that they would be responsible to go to their own healthcare provider or maybe ultimately someday their local pharmacy to get the vaccine? I I think it's all of the above where we will see uh, this uh, play out both in terms of getting the vaccine from their primary care provider or getting or an employer organizing a vaccine drive for all the employees. At this point, there's no mandation to get the vaccine. Has there been precedent for mandatory vaccination? In, in some instances, I think we can take example of a flu shot. And in some cases, it's been mandated for healthcare settings or healthcare workers uh, to minimize the transmission of risks. Uh, associated with uh, flu. So I I think there is precedence for other vaccines. We have demonstrated the vaccine does decrease the transmission risks. It's important and imperative for us to to consider that or think about it. At this point, it's not mandated. But I encourage all of the listeners to, in order to get through this pandemic and to end this misery for so many people, and in terms of risk versus benefits, I think all healthcare workers, um, we understand that we need to get vaccinated to defeat this pandemic. So uh, vaccines overall has been effective. Uh, There has been some reports on uh, adverse effects associated with the vaccine. It's not unusual to hear about those adverse effects. Um, In some cases, uh, people have uh, temperature spikes or they... They have experienced some rash in the body. The important thing to understand is these adverse effects can be easily treated. And in in instances where there's a significant reaction to the vaccine, getting the vaccine in in a more controlled setting has been fairly beneficial that we can deliver care as quickly as possible. But Again, these these adverse effects have been noted to be uh, fairly rare. So we will continue to see uh, this challenge moving forward, but it should not deter people from getting vaccinated. And the, the common reactions like injection site pain or fatigue or muscle pain or headaches, those are those should probably go away within two to three days. Yes. Uh, so so that that's uh, commonly sometimes we see the generalized body aches and malaise or Sometimes people experience headaches, and that's been um, also some of the adverse effects that we have seen in the trial uh, that will ultimately uh, go away. So what about kids under 16? I know that the clinical trials were in people 16 years and older. Is the vaccine not recommended for children? So the important thing to understand is the trials initially have not included the kids there need to be additional trials for younger individuals and it's forthcoming any any early vaccination is usually given to the adults what happens when the emergency use authorization expires uh, in in terms of EUA it's usually given for a short period of time uh, when uh, we're going through the post-marketing stage of the vaccinations. Once we get a clear understanding the efficacy of vaccine in in a substantial number of people, um, the company can apply for a full license uh, or FDA approval um, for the vaccine. And that, in that case, FDA grants that based on the 
um, efficacy that's been demonstrated in in a more significant number of people. How long do they need to look at the the adverse effects of the vaccine over these larger groups now that that people will be vaccinated and mass. The pandemic has changed many things, and this is no, no different. I think we will see a more expedited review and understanding of the efficacy of the drug, but it does take some time for a full FDA approval of the drug uh, in normal times. Unfortunately, these are unprecedented times, so we'll see how it goes. Do you have concerns about getting vaccinated? Personally, no. I I will wait my turn, and I will get it when it's available to me. How about the, the questions you might have? Are, are there any are there known different strains of the virus, sort of similar to the flu? And if that's the case, does that change the efficacy of this particular vaccine? So, short answer to that question is uh, we we don't know yet. We do know that some of the common virus do mutate or change. That's not unusual. We do see changes in virus genetic code or strains. Uh, That's very common for viruses that not necessarily make them less susceptible um, to the vaccine. And so far, I think some of the changes in the viral strain has not impacted the vaccine efficacy as of yet. The virus does not change as significantly as a flu virus does. Uh, So I'm hoping, again, hopeful uh, that efficacy of the vaccine lasts longer um, than flu. But again, time will tell. I know there's been a lot of campaigns for people to get their flu shot during this twindemic of COVID-19 and influenza, seasonal influenza. It's important for us to protect ourselves from both flu and COVID-19 disease. So getting a flu shot as well as uh, getting COVID vaccine when it's available to you is very, very important. We do see a reduction in symptoms, of course, if you have received a flu vaccine, especially for flu does it translate also to reduction of COVID-19 symptoms? That's not been the case. Um, so, but again, to reduce flu symptoms, which is, is still common and prevalent, you need to get vaccinated for flu. And then if the COVID-19 vaccine is available to you, uh, please make sure that you get that vaccine as well, because that will definitely help combating against the spread of the disease. We can conclude by saying that I think it's important that uh, we are, as you said earlier, uh, beginning of an end to these unprecedented times. I heard somebody say that we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but we're still very much in the tunnel. Very well said. Great. Well, thank you so much once again for your time and for the conversation and look forward to continuing to talk about vaccine and other issues as we continue to work our way through this pandemic. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another edition of COVID Conversations. 